Hello everyone, welcome back to season two. We're super excited to bring you the second episode of the season. Yeah, our first episode was a lot of fun to record and put out and, and see the response to it. We got a lot of uh, a lot of responses on social media, which was one, really cool to see, two, a little bit overwhelming to keep up with. <laughs> but um, there were some really cool tweets that we got from some of our listeners. And one of them we we really appreciate and we thought was fun and we also want to respond to. So... The tweet is from Anthony Nunez, and Anthony says, If I were to do a podcast, what topics should I do slash cover? Before you say Frisbee, know that I can't compete against Share the Air Pod, and if you think I can, you haven't been listening. Now tell me my genre. <laughs> so <laughs> it's very kind, and we love it. And Lou, what should Anthony do a podcast about? Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I was like, I'd probably listen to Anthony's Frisbee podcast. <laughs> yeah, I know someone I, suggested yeah. it. <laughs> I know. Somebody said Frisbee. And I was like, does that mean you haven't been listening <laughs> to Share the Air? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that Nunez should do a Share the Air fan podcast. So bring each week he talks with a new fan, a Share the Air fan, about the week's podcast. And they talk about their favorite parts and just respond to it. <laughs> I know we're, we're always asking people to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and this is, seems like kind of the ultimate review. <laughs> yeah. Is the whole I'm, podcast meant for reviewing? I think I'm inspired by um, part of our conversation with Amy that will be on a bonus episode that didn't get in the full episode is that we talked about her love for Taylor Swift and a, a little bit about the podcast that she listens to that's like people talking about each Taylor Swift album. So that's, I think, where I my inspiration comes from for Nunez's new podcast, Share the Air Fan Podcast. I think he needs a better name, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we give we give creative liberty to come up with your own name. <laughs> Sweet. Well, thank you. Keep tweeting at us. It's fun. And maybe we'll talk about your tweet in one of our <laughs> podcast episodes. <laughs> so in brainstorming topics to talk about in this introduction, I put down hobbies and... We're talking about it because Lou and our producer Tim are curious to see what, what I mean by hobbies, I guess. Is that, is that what it's you're It's just so about? general. Yeah, what hobbies do you partake in, Tulsa? <laughs> okay, yeah, that's what, that's what I was going to ask you, but I'll answer first. One of my big hobbies, which may tell you that I'm an old soul, is that my plant collection is growing like crazy. And I have some plants now that have given me their own offshoots and I've replanted them. So I have like six snake plants now. My spider plants are going crazy. I have some succulents that I've like replanted and now the little, they're growing again. So yeah. Oh my God. Wait. I check them every day. <laughs> Can I talk to you about, so I just moved into a new place and I'm starting to try to fill it with you plants. You plants? I need, I desperately need plants. I have two plants. I got one plant the other day from a plant store in Kingston. And when the woman was selling me the plant, she said to me that the plant gets anxiety if you move it around too much. So I have to Whoa. pick a spot. I had to pick a spot to keep the plant. I can't move him. And I, mo I had to move him the other day because I was moving furniture and I was just whispering sorry oh. to him the whole time. <laughs> what kind of plant? I don't remember the name of it, but the stem is a bunch of pieces kind of twisted together and then it has a bunch of leaves kind of in a pom-pom shape at the top i'll send you a picture okay um, yeah there's an app you can get where you can identify your plants yeah oh wait i'm okay wait i'll definitely I'll send the that. name to you. <laughs> great 
But yeah, I need I need plants to fill. My mom has a spider plant that I got when I was in second grade and it's enormous now, so I was thinking about taking a piece of that, but yep. yes, I need I need I need more plants. Okay, well I have a million, so <laughs> incredible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've had to build different new shelves and systems to hold the plants because Oh that's awesome. That must be so yeah. lovely. Yeah. It's nice in the winter. Yeah. Okay, um, that's that's one hobby. of my hobbies. <laughs> yep. We've also talked about pickleball in the past. Now that I'm not playing Frisbee a ton, I've been upping my pickleball game. You're going next week, right? Yeah. To play mm-hmm. pickleball. Mm-hmm. Yep. What about you? Gosh, my hobbies are many and countless uh, <laughs> things that I'm currently doing. Taking up the most of my time right now is moving. So that's uh, not a hobby. It's not a hobby, but it's it's getting in the way. Yeah, of I my love hobbies. to move. Every few months, I just move. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, I so I bring it up because I'm unpacking all my junk that's been packed up since mid 2020. And one of the things that I unpacked was a 3D printer that someone gave to me as a gift. Um, so I just set it up. It's, it's a super small, compact one, and it doesn't do anything too, too fancy. But I'm super excited to try to mess around with it. There's a couple of things I want to print. This is my actual hobby, is um, I love playing D&D, and I love playing role-playing games, and I love having... Uh, miniatures, which are essentially your characters as tiny little figures. And some people get really into it and paint them and stuff. But I'm super excited to like try to print one of my own characters. That D&D is, it's been like a really fun way to connect with people, especially in COVID when Mm -hmm. we couldn't really be in person. It's also just really fun. I just love all sorts of games in general. Do you play with the same group for D&D? There's one group that I played with. It's some of the same people, but I guess... I don't know if this is a plug or what, but if anybody is listening and wants to play D&D with me, just DM me because <laughs> I'm constantly trying to find more groups to play with. I both like to play and I also like to DM and I need more groups to, to be playing with. So if you're listening and you also like D&D or any other tabletop role-playing system, let me know. Sweet. Help me do my hobby. <laughs> Good for okay. hobbies. That was hobbies. Yeah. I, those are hobbies. Those are hobbies. <laughs> Cool. This week, we're bringing on our first non-U.S. guest, and we're super excited to be talking to Hui Fang from Singapore. This was a really eye-opening conversation for Tulsa and I in terms of what Ultimate could look like outside of the U.S., so we hope that our listeners also gain a new perspective on Ultimate in Singapore, and we hope you enjoy. Joining us today is Hui Fang. Fang began playing Ultimate in 2011 and almost immediately began to compete on the world stage. In 2012, Fang competed with Team Singapore at WUGC and then with Japan's Mixed Masters team at the 2017 WCBU. Fang has done a lot of work in her communities to create and maintain playing opportunities for women. In 2017, Fang helped organize the 2017 Pan-Asia Women's Cup in Singapore. And then in 2018, Fang managed the Asian Oceanic All-Star Tour as they traveled across the U.S. playing against some of the country's top women's club teams. Fang also coaches and was a coach with Singapore's Women's Beach National Team in 2019 at AOBUC. In 2017, Fang helped start Havoc, the first women's club team in Singapore. Currently, Fang works as both an art and English teacher in Singapore. 
Fang, welcome to Share the Year. Hi. <laughs> thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. So in putting together your bio, Fang, one of the most interesting things is that you started playing Ultimate in 2011, and the following year you represented Team Singapore at the World Ultimate Tournament. So can you tell us a little bit about what that first year was like? How did you get started playing, and how did you start playing for Team Singapore? So I think it's a reflection of how... Singapore was really, really short on women back then, which is why, like, a super rookie like me, because like you said, I've only started playing barely less than a year, and that's how someone like me who was really, really fresh, like, I had no big tournament experience. Yeah, so that was my first international debut, and that's because... There weren't many women who were playing at that time, and so I think they were more open to taking beginners to give players like me a chance to experience what it's like to play on the world stage. So I remember vaguely now (laughs) that I was so raw. Like The only thing that I knew how to do was to run to the end zone and catch the disc. And I would, yeah, and I would panic every single time I got the disc. I would panic in like, oh no, how am I going to pass this thing off to somebody else? I think we trained for like about six months. And I think that experience was very precious and very important to me because I felt totally helpless. There were many times that I felt like I was the weakest link on the team because there's just so many things that I didn't know how to do. But there were also so many people helping us. And I was on the team with people from various clubs and with various playing experiences. So during the lead up, during the six months or so, I experienced a roller coaster sort of feeling. Like from being totally lost to feeling thankful. Everything was new to me, like every throw, every draw was new to me. So it was actually quite an exciting time trying to absorb everything in. And then when we arrived in Japan at a competition, oh my god, it was like another roller coaster ride. Because like, <laughs> I think this is the reason why I became active in, in trying to create opportunities. Because I understand how it's like to be completely lost. Like you really want to contribute, but you don't know how to. Or you don't feel like you're well equipped to. So I was, I was there for the longest time. I felt like that. And so, yes. So when we were in Japan, oh my goodness, it was like <gasps> being in a, in a, in a completely different world. Like I remember we were playing USA, right? <laughs> and our goal was to break the bagel. <laughs> 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 and you know, it's such a different, such a world of disparity like in terms of expectations like USA was probably going in thinking oh we're gonna get number one and and <laughs> my team was going in thinking oh we're gonna get one point you know <laughs> so yeah that was that was how how I felt back then but also through the experience it wasn't just team USA it was also the other teams like Japan Colombia when we played against them even though there was such a, a big difference a huge gap in terms of the depth of the squad in terms of the experience we never once felt they were condescending or they looked down on us in fact they were very welcoming and they played their best they didn't play on the first gear but they we could feel that they were really playing their best and like really challenged us and I think that's what the experience really stuck and it made us feel like 
oh, it's so fun. Like, this game is really fun. Like, the competition is really hard. <laughs> to get that one point is really difficult. But it's so fun and we want to get there. Like, we want to make ourselves better so that, you know, we're there to win the game and not just to break the bagel. Mm-hmm. So I think that for me, that experience was what made me decide to become really active. Because to be honest, if I were in any other country at that time, I probably would not have gotten on the team. Yeah, I probably wouldn't have gotten onto a national team. So I think that's why since then, we realized that it's it's also really fun to train together on a women's team because like we're all by ourselves. We had to play every role. So we're no longer just cutters, but we also have to be handlers. So that forced us to step out of our comfort zones. So was the, the team that you played with, the Team Singapore in 2012, was that a women's team or a mixed team? A women's team. Okay, okay. It was a women's team. Yeah, so we had some really good players on the team. Most of them have retired by now. They have stopped playing. But it was a really good experience because we had no one else to depend on except ourselves. And because you're only as strong as your weakest link, right? So <laughs> everyone... I mean, there, there were some like teething problems in the beginning, but eventually we got onto the same page. And for me, it was almost exhilarating because I never imagined that I would be on the same team as these other players. Because prior to that, we have only been competitors. So to come to that point was, was quite amazing. And after that, that group of us, I think there were about 20 of us maybe, we've been pushing for like gender tournaments. And that's how each club then started to split into gender trainings. So our calendar is such that in April and May, there's the gender tournament. And after that, in July and August, it will be the mixed tournament. So for both, yeah, for at least, yeah, everybody plays both. Yeah. So then at least for a good two to three months a year, we would have women's training within our own clubs. So I think that's what happened after 2012. Cool. So prior to that 2012 experience, really the only sort of ultimate in Singapore was mixed ultimate. Yeah, the focus was was largely on mixed. Yeah. Wow, I think that's like a really incredible thing that everyone can kind of get to play both in a gender division and play mixed in the same year. That's not what happens in the US. You pick your team and you're kind of like locked into that team and that division. So whether it's open women's or mixed, you're locked into that team. You definitely don't get to play both. So that's really cool. Since that split in 2012, when people started playing both, have you seen changes in either on-field play or leadership or yeah like what have you seen what has changed the very first thing that stood out in my mind was speaking up learning to speak up i was training with a mixed team and for example during a drill right we had this male player whenever he sees that the next person that he's gonna throw to is a female he would actually ask to not throw at that turn like he he would ask to throw at the next turn or after that when he's actually throwing to a male player. So he wants to skate over the girls. So that was kind of like the environment that I... I wouldn't even say grew up. But that was the environment I started... Yes, I started training in. Yeah, where it's not subtle at all. (laughs) Like, it's super in your face. So back then, we we would just let it be. But... Then a couple of us started talking about it after the training. 
and we spoke about how uncomfortable we feel. I mean, we try to be understanding to understand why he would do that, but we feel that for the benefit of the team, this shouldn't happen at all. Discrimination aside, you know, gender discrimination aside, this shouldn't happen at all. Like you shouldn't be picky or choosy when it comes to drill. Like you should be able, even if you're a better player, or especially if you're a better player, you should be open or invested in throwing to the ones who are not as skilled as you, so that they can become better. Yeah, so that that was how my initial experience was. And so after the twenty twelve, we decided that if we can't change things within the the club itself, or within the mix setting itself. We can start creating other platforms.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what happened was then we started having like <laughs> women's only take up, <laughs> and it was great because I think what what struck us most, like I shared earlier, was that when we played women's at Wolves twenty twelve, we realized that we had to take on more roles and we had to pick up more skills, and unfortunately. When you're training with a club, a competitive club that is training with the purpose of winning in a tournament, you have your skill level has to be of a certain level before people actually start to take you seriously. So at that time, at that point in time, it was difficult for us to change that mindset. So then, what we did was that, in addition to that, to that mixed training, we got together and started training amongst ourselves. But when we were competing. We were still largely competing as a mixed team, but like I shared, after that in Singapore itself, we started to have gender tournaments. I remember one year it had to be cancelled because there were not enough women's teams. But eventually, we we got past that. And what happened was, <laughs> the women I think felt really I'm not sure what the right word is liberated. No, I don't know. It was just a really different feeling from training with a mixed team when you're when you're training on the women's team. We allowed one another to make mistakes. Yeah, I think that was that was a big difference、mm-hmm. and more forgiving, more more. more a, I would say a growth environment. <laughs>、mm-hmm. Ah, yes, it was definitely a, a growth environment. Like we feel less like we're here to prove ourselves,、mm-hmm. and it was more like I'm here to be a better player. Totally. Yeah. But shouldn't that be the case? <laughs> no matter where you play, yeah. But anyway, so so like the sense of growth was very strong and very empowering,、mm-hmm. and we actually started having more and more players saying that you know we really enjoy the women's game. So、mm-hmm. that's how eventually we started to have more teams at the gender tournaments, but still as a club. Because of the nature of the competition at tertiary level, at university level, or college level, it was even now it's still、um, mixed tournaments. We don't have gender-based tournaments.、Mm-hmm. Only adults have have had the experience of having different gender or single gender teams. Yeah, but the college students who join clubs who are also concurrently training with clubs, they would、mm-hmm. have. The full experience, but if you are a college student, only playing at the college level, you're not playing at the club level. 
then very likely you're only playing and training in a mixed environment. Gotcha. Share the Air will be right back. But first, here's a quick word from our sponsors. Share the Air is sponsored by the National Ultimate Training Camp, located in Western Massachusetts. Nutsy is the longest-running ultimate sleepover camp in the country. It has also gone international, hosting camps and teaching clinics all over the globe. With the most talented coaches in the world, Nutsy is teaching ultimate for the next generation. Learn from the best at Nutsy. Share the Air is also sponsored by BC Ultimate. BC has been producing custom uniforms and performance apparel since 1998. A company that proudly puts values and community before profit, BC is the world's best source for quality design and all your ultimate needs. You can support BC and rep Share the Air jerseys by checking out our team store at bcultimate.com. So that group of 20 or so women starting those conversations about wanting single gender competition I mean, just in what you described, it's pretty clear that that's done a lot for folks' growth, especially especially for women, because it sounds like there weren't a ton of spaces for growth prior to that. In 2017, you helped to organize the Pan-Asia Women's Cup in Singapore. Can you talk a little bit about that? I think that was one of the best things that happened so far in terms of what we did for Singapore Ultimate. So how it started was that Mish from Australia, Moe from Japan, and myself, we got connected through Frisbee, of course. And then we like the idea of connecting across cultures and learning from different cultures because so many things are different. The way we think, the way we play, the way our competitions are structured in our respective countries. And we think that while the world tournaments are great, they are great for like growth as a player, they are also great for like growth as a team. But many a times the focus is on the competition itself and there's very little time or space for like building friendships outside of your team. So you, you're probably, yeah, you're probably born very strongly with your teammates and for world's competition within your respective country, but not with the other teams with the other countries. So I think that's what we were trying to achieve. We wanted to create this space where the players can actually get to know the other players from the other team before the competition itself. So I think we met in, we met in the summer of 2017, in July. The planning took about six months or so. And we wanted to do it because we felt like those players, those under-24 athletes, they are probably going to see one another over the next four to eight years or, or more. Because generally, those athletes who take part in under-24 competitions, they tend to continue taking part in these competitions. And so we thought, wouldn't it be great if they could get to know one another as friends before competition? So that was, that was one of the ideas that we had. And of course, the other idea was that we wanted to give them the experience because the under-24 athletes, many of them had zero tournament experience. Some of them have not traveled outside of their country before. So for example, Team Japan, <laughs> there, there were so many of them who has who have never traveled outside of Japan other than for the world tournament itself. So they have never done international friendly of sorts. They rarely play in overseas tournaments unless it is worlds. But of course that has started to change. 
Whereas in Singapore, because Singapore is, is such a small country and there are only so many tournaments we can have in a year, so the Singapore players, regardless of gender, generally more proactive in taking part in regional competitions. So like we play in Thailand, Taiwan, Philippines, etc. So we thought it would be interesting to prepare the three teams for the 2018-24 in Perth. It was going to be very hot for the actual 2018-24 in Perth. And Japan wanted to experience that (laughs) condition Mm -hmm. themselves. They thought it would be a great idea to condition themselves. And then Singapore happens to be like that perfect meeting point for Japan and Australia because we're somewhere in the middle, geographically speaking. And also like we have the perfect weather (laughs) for them to acclimatize. We basically have no four seasons. We we experience like summer all year round. So that's how we decided to make it happen. So so on paper it was like a ten Asia Women's Cup. So eventually Japan won, and we gave them like a very nice trophy and everything. But everybody's favorite memory of the tournament, right, was actually the mini games before that. So. Uh, <laughs> Okay, but I think it's okay for him to know now. It's been so many years. So actually, <laughs> we had we had we had a a mini game. We broke. Yeah, we divided the three the three under twenty four teams. We mixed them up into into uh, small teams of their own. It was only thirty minutes. We divided it into three sets of ten minutes. Okay, I don't remember the order, but the three games were divided such that, for example, one of them, you could only throw hammers. <laughs> yeah. And then the other one was, you could only throw with your left hand. And one was, you had to make sure that everybody on the team, that was 7v7, everybody on the team had a touch on the disc before you can score. Mm. Yeah. I love so, those kinds of games. Those are so Yes. <laughs> yes, it's so fun. And like, it was very chaotic, to be honest. But, but, yeah, that's part of the fun. Yeah, I remember. I remember that even on the day itself, even though we know that we we, we were gonna have this, but actually nobody knew except the three of us because we weren't supposed to disclose it officially. <laughs> just just in case, you know, the the girls would alert their head coach or something. Yeah, I don't know. So so we kept start it. Start practicing hammers ahead of time. <laughs> yeah. So so. So we kept it under wraps. And I remember just minutes before the game, someone said, Fang, are you sure that, you know, we're going to do hammers only? Like, how realistic is is, is that going to be? Like, like, are people actually going to play if, if we do that? Then I'm like, why not? Because if you don't do it here, like, if you don't play it here, like, where else are you going to play it, right? And mm-hmm. yeah, so... So I'm I'm really glad that we did because like everyone enjoyed themselves like whether they were playing or people who were watching. So we had uh, a couple of volunteers. So we had like male supporters coming to do like timekeeping and things like that. So all this was done. It was a two day tournament. So this was yeah carried out on 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 day one, and everybody had like a roll of time watching <laughs> them play, and there were definitely language barriers. So watching people trying to overcome those language barriers was interesting for one. And I think that was, yeah, they, they just had so much fun and, and some of them even came over to the information counter and they were like, 
can we have another round or like can this be longer? <laughs> and of course, we had to say, no, we have to go. We have, we have to do the actual competition. <laughs> yeah. So I think that that experience was 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 really good because then eventually, even though so I was the tournament director for the Pan Asia Women's Cup, and I eventually went down to Perth the following year in January, and like it was so nice to see like the, these three teams they already knew one another and they were saying hi and exchanging yeah exchanging comments about how they felt um, about a tournament so far and things like that so it's really nice to see because prior to that i think that's not something that you would usually see at an under 24 tournament because that would be the first tournament for most people like the first international tournament for most people and they wouldn't know anyone other than their teammates so I played on the U.S. women's U24 team that cycle in Perth. And I wonder, so we went to Australia a week early for a training camp and we got to scrimmage with the Australian women's team. And then we had the barbecue after we played together. <laughs> and maybe this was, this came from the tournament you all hosted of like trying to connect the teams. And it was, it was fun because we ended up playing them in pool play at the tournament and then again in I think maybe the semis or the quarters so we had played them three times within basically a week span and then had hung out with them and it was fun to kind of get to know people and match up against them so maybe that was part of your your creation (laughs) (laughs) okay so then I believe it was later in 2018 was when the AO All-Star Tour happened. So if we can, if you can summarize like kind of how the AO All-Star Tour came together and then a little more of like what the experience was like for you and for the players. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> so I think I was there feeling fresh from the excitement of having organized the Pan Asia Women's Cup with Misha Moe and then following that, witnessing how the players and the teams have benefited from that. Like, it got me really excited about being part of a team that helped to, like, connect, build, inspire. So it was really different because sort of, like, getting three teams together was already difficult and then for AO All-Stars it was a whole lot more ambitious we had (laughs) players from like 9 to 10 different places like 9 to 10 different countries yeah that that was so much more challenging but I guess also rewarding in other ways and it opened up my eyes to how the teams in US for example how the teams function how organized and how open and how invested they actually were or are to building growth, not just within their own clubs, but also within the community. So like, it was the first time in my short lifetime of playing Frisbee that I heard things like mixes, like Boston has a mixer. And mm-hmm. I think different, different regions have a mixer. And also people were very quick to offer support, to lend breadth and depth to experiences. Like, for example, there were high school teams who were very willing for us to go down and um, have a session with them. I'm forgetting the names of the the program 
is it girls up? No. Oh, age up. Age, age up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's another one. The gum girls ultimate movement. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. So we did a session at Philadelphia with Green Means Go with mm-hmm. the team. Yeah. So we did like a clinic, and I think that that was a good experience for us for the team to see how different community. The USA、uh, Ultimate Community actually reaches out to the people in their community.、Mm. Yeah, so I think that was that was a good learning point for us. For the team itself, I actually still can't believe how we managed to do that. So, <laughs> so we actually had we actually had serious communication problem. Not because people were not willing to communicate with one another, but because of language barriers.、Mm-hmm. So I remember. We did like a warm up match against one of the teams in Colombia, and we were actually shouting <laughs> instructions in three different languages, <laughs> like English, Japanese, and Mandarin. So wow, yeah, and there there were also smatterings of of other languages like Tagalog and and etc. But when there's a will, there's a way, right? So eventually, <laughs> of course, Elisa. Elisa Weatherford, yeah. So she very quickly decided that okay, we're gonna come up with signs,、mm-hmm. so that we're not sharing things in different languages. So we're gonna we're gonna come up with signs instead. So then we did that. Oh, I think yeah. So、uh, so Elisa, you had Elisa Weatherford. You asked her to coach, and I think I remember in one of the because a lot of these games, if not all of them, they were they were filmed, and so people could watch them. And I remember seeing in the comments of one of the games, they they noticed that Alyssa, the coach, was tapping your shoulders as like a sign, and so they were like, "Is that like is that a sign? Is that like a communication thing?" Because you can see like tapping the shoulder. So was that one of the signs that y'all had come up with? Yes. Wow, that's and it was to communicate the the force. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was. Oh, wow, they figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I think it took. I think it took a couple people in the comments to figure it out. So it's, it, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the secrets yeah, yeah. were given. But okay, cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So I think, in fact, because we all came from different countries and different regions as well, so like different parts of Asia, our experience and our understanding of. The game were very different, and also the way we communicate was very different. Like the language itself, the language aside, some of us were not so used to speaking up directly about what we think or how we feel. Like we're not used to doing that, whereas the other players were. So I think one of the good things that we did was, and I remember that this happened in Central Park, was that. <laughs> Uh, oh, by the way, yeah, the traffic in New York is terrible. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally <laughs> agreed. Yeah. So yeah. So that there were many logistical problems. But anyway,、mm-hmm. when we eventually met up at Central Park, we got together and and we decided that we would have we need to come up with a team model. So everyone was asked, "What are the three things that you value most?" And then based on that, we came up with a model, which I can't remember the Japanese word now. But when I do, I'll let you know. But <laughs> Yeah, but basically, it it meant to go for it, 
yeah, like to believe in yourself and, cool. and to go for it. Um, I think we were also very conscious about mixing the team up. So when we, when we were moving from state to state or city to city, in terms of accommodation, we were doing billeting. So we wanted to make sure that there was kind of like a rotation that you'd be staying with different teammates at a different location. I think that definitely helped in terms of improving the communication within the team because it also gave the players the time and space for them to get to know one another as people before players. And then mm-hmm. I think you need, you need that to a certain degree yeah. in order to fully function as a team. It also helped. We were, we were very thankful and grateful to like all the teams who hosted us and for us to experience the generosity and hospitality. Because to be very honest, right, some of the teams we played, for example, Boston Brute Squad, it's intimidating. Some of the girls were like really nervous because they are playing against, you know, athletes whom they've watched on YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and to them it's just like, oh my god, this is unbelievable. But actually, right? So they didn't they didn't think that they had it in them. Even for a few seconds, like some of them were unsure. But eventually they went in, they played their best and they realized that yep, there is a gap, but the gap isn't as big as as you think it is. And I think even during that one week or so in itself, we've seen so many players grow within that one week, like from game to game. Some of them would be very cautious in their play. They would do what they usually do. Mm-hmm. They would not really experiment. Like they would not dare to, for example, throw the big hammers or the cross or the hucks. Mm-hmm. They're very used to doing safe, stable passes. There's of course also the reverse where people who are used to playing the big game or the long ball game, they have and not so much the short passes, they have kind of gained courage and confidence from their other teammates to actually try playing the short passes. So we see those we see those changes and like we also see like even though it was it was just a week, you actually see the difference that it makes when people start to really trust in one another and it was just amazing so like yeah I remember the game in New York for example at first they were feeling the jitters but eventually you know everyone just played freely and they were just really excited to be able to be there then when we went to Philadelphia right it was like we faced another curveball we had to play indoor and that was something that most of the team in fact almost the entire team were not used to I don't remember. Mm. We do that a lot here. Yeah. You do? <laughs> oh, okay. I, yeah, I, I, I know that. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that it's mm-hmm. common for like UK, for example, mm-hmm. to play the indoor game. But even for players who come from countries like Japan or Australia, where there's four seasons, yeah, they don't really play indoor. Yeah, so every every different game, every different location that we went to, there were different sorts of challenges. So I remember like at the indoor game, it felt, the space felt a little constraining. And because of the lack of space and how near the spectators were to the playing area, you could tell that some of the players became more conscious 
than ever, like more self-conscious than ever. They were looking around. They were seeming more flustered at some point because they had to look around to see that they're not stepping on anybody's hands or legs or whatever. And like it felt different when you lay out and land on the surface. You know, it was all different. On the turf, yeah. Yeah, on the turf. But, you know, as always, because of the nature of the game itself, Frisbee is so fun. So after like the first few points, very quickly adapted to the venue and just really enjoyed the game and so after the game we thanked all the supporters like we're doing high fives with everybody <laughs> cool. That's fun. it sounds trivial maybe but i think it was little things like that that added to our experience you know before frisbee would be like okay it's on the weekend you pack out on the tournament uh, you grab your duffel bag and then you just go and then you play like four games on day one and then three games on day two and then like you high five your teammate and then you go home but here it's like you actually meet the spectators <laughs> you find out where they come from how far they traveled to to come here who they are supporting is it their daughter their 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 friend you know their college roommate and then after the games we actually it, even uh, in fact for some of the games before the games we actually met our opponents in fact, we stayed with some of them and you just find out more and you realize that you, you have more in common than you had thought. And I think that's very important. Like, you know, for us, we would think that, oh, all these USA club players, <laughs> they they have it so easy, as in like they make it look so easy. You know, they play so effortlessly. They're all so skilled and everything. But it is only through those off-field conversations that you realize that, hey, actually, they have their own struggles and mm-hmm. they have different things that they need to overcome. Like, I was so surprised to learn that there's a player on Boston who actually lives in Canada. Yeah, Jessie. Jessie, yes. And she's amazing. And she drives, am I right? She drives to training every week. And it just changes your perspective on things. Because, like, say in Singapore, they're so small that to go from one end to the other, it only takes two hours by public transport. <laughs> like, by, by the subway. And even so, you know, you would still have players who find it, like, troublesome and, and blah, blah, blah. So then, when we're there, and we're hearing all these stories, and we're seeing all these people, they're not just stories, but they're actually people who, who are, like, leading these lives and, like, investing this much time and energy and then we realize that one we don't feel so alone and two we start to think about things that we didn't use to think before like for example hey what would it be like if i step out of my comfort zone travel to another country play with another team so in fact it was a it was a huge stepping stone for so many of the people who are involved i wouldn't just say the players even for me as a manager or for RTTV, our our filming crew, the three guys who are with us. Yeah, it, it just um, changes our perspective on not just Frisbee, but on life. Like, what is it that I, I, I want to achieve or how do I want to impact the people around me? Why am I doing this? What are some ways that I can change to achieve this? Or what are some things that... I should not change, but stick to it. You know, just we had conversations amongst ourselves within the team and actually with ourselves. <laughs> so I think the Pan Asia Women's Cup was the first stepping stone where some of the players realized that, hey, you know, actually frisbee is 
also really fun because you get to meet all these people from around the world. And then the All-Stars tour was the stepping stone where people realized that, hey, you don't actually just have to meet them during the tournaments itself. If you want to, you can you can actually uproot yourself and go there and, and train with a team and, you know, actually live with them and, and see how it's like. So like like in subsequent tournaments after the All-Stars Tour, like in the Wolves competition, for example, sometimes we'll be wondering, hey, why did your team do that? Or, you know, why did this happen? We realized that we could actually take that conversation outside of the field and, and actually try to understand. So like the communication improved. We would actually want to discuss it with the person or with the team rather than not have the discussion and then just speculate within your own yeah. team about what happened. Yeah, so... That's a really valuable benefit, yeah. Did y'all manage to watch... I know Tausa took part in, in one of the games. Yeah, and, and Luisa did Luisa too. too. Oh. against Unbench. Yes, oh! the first game. Mm-hmm. We were the yes. first game, yeah. The first game. Smacked us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how, how did you all feel playing with your team and against All-Star Squad? And did you watch the other games? Yeah, yeah, we watched the other games... It was, it's so fun. It's so fun to see and play against people outside of the U.S. And so to learn that there was this whole delegation of people that are, were so talented to play against you all and to, you know, we, we could see some of the, not, you know, this isn't a bad thing, but because we were your first game, I think we could see some of the communication issues or just the, um, first team together sort of playing like kinks that you were working out. So to see that and then to see the game at the end of it that you played against Brute Squad, that that was incredible to see the growth that you were able to do in in, in that one week. Yeah, just within the game itself and then to see how, how y'all progressed over the course of the week, it, it was incredibly entertaining. It felt like a very successful tour from <laughs> an opponent and a fan point of view. So, Yeah, and I would say from playing against you all, it brought a different on-field challenge because you you had different styles of play and individuals had different styles of play. And so we were challenged. We weren't guarding the same teams that we typically guard and the same individuals mm-hmm. that we typically guard. So it, it forced us to be able to learn to adapt and adjust to the way that you all were playing and figure out new ways to do things and how to shut down players who are doing some really awesome mm-hmm. stuff. So yeah, it, it was a fantastic experience. And it was fun because we had played a number of those players. There was a group of us on Brute Squad that had played on the U24 team mm. in 2018. So we had played a number of the people on the tour at the world. So it was fun to play them again. Yeah. Yeah. And for us, like going from one place to another and playing the different teams, we also realized that the USA community is a lot more diverse than what we see on YouTube. Yeah, and, and, and for me, right, personally, I was kind of like pleasantly surprised to find out that so many of the people who are invested in the coaching, when it comes to coaching, they actually would share their thoughts quite freely on different platforms, like they would write articles about their mm. coaching philosophy. And again, this was something that wasn't quite the norm for the other countries, especially the Asian countries. And I think what happened, well, yeah, one of the reports was that what happened after that 
or rather during the tour itself. For example, some of the players, in particular those we had like six representatives from Japan, they were actually, they decided to keep a journal. So they wanted to share all the different things that they learned from all the teams that they played. So we opened up a Facebook page for the Japanese representatives and they would share their reflections and thoughts. The idea was they wanted to bring and share this experience that they had with their teammates in Japan. And of course, one of the main goals of the tour was that we wanted the people, we wanted our respective communities to see that what our strengths are as players from Asia Pacific, what is it that we can do and how is it that we can fare when we are playing with players from the different continents. As our slogan says, we hope to inspire, connect, view and inspire. And I think it was very important that it was visible. I think one of our, our goals was to actually have the players on rail, like you can actually watch these players so that they have role models that they can they can look up to that actually comes from their communities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And totally. yeah, and I think that was what the idea behind the All Stars tour to begin with. And now, Share the Air will take a break to talk about today's Teachable Moment, brought to you by our sponsor, the Center for Applied Neuroscience. We introduced Teachable Moments in Season 1 to explain the neuroscience behind some common tools and principles often used to enhance sports performance, such as visualization, routines, and positive feedback. If you want to hear those segments again, you can find them in Episodes 6 through 10 and on the Center for Applied Neuroscience's website. For season two, we asked our audience what neuroscience you wanted explained, and we have Dr. Wintink here to answer your questions. Hi. On last week's Teachable Moment, we talked about fatigue, and there's one more piece that a lot of y'all might relate to, caffeine. There's one other piece that I'd love to share. Most of us know that when we take caffeine, so we drink coffee in the morning, it wakes us up, right? And that's because it actually prevents the adenosine from connecting with the receptors in the brain to say, I'm tired. So it's fooling the brain into thinking it's no longer tired. I know some people use caffeine during performance. I have myself as well. Different energy drinks as well can kickstart the arousal system or the awake system and suppress that adenosine signal that we're tired. And so we do know that energy drinks and caffeine do have a performance enhancing effect, both physically and mentally. So that's just an interesting side note that, you know, if you kind of get that jolt from like the caffeine kick, then I know I've personally felt like, okay, I can go. So I'll save my energy drink for the like last game of a tournament or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it works. It physically changes my body. And then I feel like I've got that motivation to go. And that seems to be supported by the evidence too. Yeah. Wow. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's cool to hear the the caffeine, like where in the system it comes into, Mm -hmm. because I know a lot of people use caffeine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's also, I mean, there's also taurine that is in some of them too, which is an amino acid. And that also has some performance enhancing effects as well, which is, you know, often in those energy drinks as well. So Mm -hmm. yeah. Awesome. Thanks to our sponsor, Dr. Mandy Wintink and the Center for Applied Neuroscience for this teachable moment. Head to www.knowyourbrain.ca and see what courses they have to teach you more about your brain. If you mention that you heard about them here, you'll get a 5% discount off course fees, and they'll also donate 5% back to share the air. (music) 
So Singapore is currently in lockdown. You're not allowed to gather more than two people, which means you can really only do throwing drills. So given that that's kind of your current state of things, what's sort of next for you with Ultimate? Are there like teams you're planning for or events that you'd like to do in the future? Anything that's kind of been inspired or lessons that you've taken away from all of the things that you've coached and organized, managed in the last few years? In terms of the big picture, right, one of the things that I'd like to see happen on the Singapore front is that I'd like for us to have more women coaches. That's something that we are lacking right now. In that regard, (laughs) I think that's one area where there's a lot of catching up to do. What I mean by that is, is, for example, in the US, Australia... Japan, even in uh, New Zealand and many other countries, that we have or you have many uh, women coaches. In fact, they are not only coaching the women's team. We do have women coaches coaching mixed teams and coaching men's teams. Am Mm -hmm. I right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right now in Singapore, no. (laughs) So at the moment, we do not have women's clubs for one and so we do not have opportunities for women coaches to actually practice being coaches we do have women coaches when we form national teams and and I'm thankful for that there's that opportunity for us to grow and learn as coaches so in terms of big picture I hope that within the next five to ten years we would see and have actually programs in place where we have women coaches and not just for the women's team but also for the other sort of gender teams. And I think in order for that to happen, I will have to find ways to be actively playing and connecting. We always end our episode with a little game. Yeah, so this is the game that we ended each episode with in season one. So we'll ask you a a short open-ended question and you'll have 10 seconds from when we start the question to giving your answer. And if you take longer than 10 seconds, we'll stall you out. And Lou and I will take turns asking questions and we'll ask, I don't know what, about 10 questions, Lou? Okay, can we just check how long is your 10 seconds still count? <laughs> We're, it's a generous it's a generous 10 yeah. seconds. Okay. Yeah. Can I call fast count? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Definitely. Yeah. Okay, cool. You can only have one throw. Which throw do you pick? Hammer. <laughs> Crossfail hammer. Specifically, the crossbow hammer. Yep. <laughs> What's your favorite non-ultimate hobby? Ooh, at the moment, beach volleyball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. What's your favorite play that you've ever made? Meet Phil pass to the end zone to a male teammate in mixed beach frisbee. Cool. Yeah. Okay, you have to pick one of these three. Burpees, push-ups, or pull-ups? Burpees. Ooh. Wow. <laughs> Hammers and burpees, really? Yeah. <laughs> if you were a color, what color would you be? Purple. What's your favorite tournament snack? Ooh, peanut butter sandwiches. Who's the best sideline that you've ever had? Oh, that's difficult. Okay, I don't have a person in particular, 
but like okay. at the moment the AO All Stars sideline was the is the most memorable. Mm, awesome. Yeah. I like that. What's your most used emoji? Oh, it's the one the face with the many hearts. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, around to, it. like it's surrounded by to, hearts. To express that you feel love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I use the other one equally. The one where there's saliva coming out to express that you're feeling hungry. <laughs> drooling. <laughs> yeah, the drooling one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's the best compliment you've ever received? Wow. Um, you're very generous. I think that's the best. Oh, I love that one. Awesome. That's 10 second stall. Oh, yay. Nice work. Yay, you did it. <laughs> and no stall outs. Yeah. Yeah. Almost. <laughs> I, was, I was this close. <laughs> yeah. Well, Bang, thank you for spending a whole bunch of time with us and working through tech issues <laughs> and and sharing all that you have done and all that you have done for especially Women's Ultimate in Singapore. I've definitely learned a lot and I'm excited to watch what you do next. I'm also excited to watch what you all do next. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. If you like the podcast and want to support us, here are a few things that you can do. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Share the Air Podcast and on Twitter at Share the Air Pod. You can also rate and review us, and most importantly, subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. And if you want to show more support or you just can't get enough of Share the Air, you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash share the air. If you're interested in repping some Share the Air gear, check out our VC Ultimate store at vcultimate.com. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at team at sharetheairpodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening. Share the Air is recorded and edited by Tulsa Douglas and Louisa Nevis. It is planned and produced by Tulsa Douglas, Louisa Nevis, and Tim Bobrowski. Share the Air's music is by Gray Devlin and Christopher Hernandez. Finally, thanks again to our sponsors, Nutsy, BC Ultimate, and the Center for Applied Neuroscience. <laughs>